Merry New Year! Happy New Year. In this country, we say happy. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition my condition was in. I woke up this morning with the sun down, shining in him. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the f***ing money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Tripped on a cloud and fell eight miles high. I told my mind... On a jagged sky. Okay, you know, you guys aren't privy to all the new so, uh, you know, that's what you, uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. Just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sundown. Well, I'm back, Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howell. Greg Pappas on the board on this uh, day after New Year's. Happy New Year, everyone. We have Mr. John Flanagan with us as well. Um, so we have interesting stuff going on this morning. Mark and I are doing so hot. Uh, SB's down 33, Nasdaq Features down 168, Dow down 135, we got Apple down 347, it's almost 2%, so that's a pretty big move for those guys. Story this morning is an Iranian warship has entered the Red Sea. Um, I don't know what kind of, maybe Greg can find out what exactly kind of Iranian warships they have, because evidently we whipped up on a few of the uh, the piracy dudes that are causing trouble there. So I don't know what an Iranian warship's going to do. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's a battleship or an aircraft carrier. I mean, what is it? Uh, Greg, if you can find that out, I don't think it's a... Plus, they had to go, come all the way from Iran, so the thing doesn't have any bases over there, I don't think. So I don't know if that's sure I want to be the captain of that ship, necessarily. John Woods, what's up with you, bud? Well, recovering from the holiday time. It was a, a nice, quiet one, so... Well, recover from it, though. Well, you you got to recover one way or the other, whether it was a good one or not. But uh, yeah, um, couple of decent, couple of really good games last night. Unlike the rest of the bowls, huh? Yeah, I was you know not engaged with any one particular. I, I was kind of poking around, looking online and stuff. You know, I, I didn't watch the Rose Bowl or any of that, but um, that's a tradition I've kind of let slide by the way. So. I, uh, it's, it's great TV, and it comes at a good time after Christmas when people are still kind of in an in afterglow, you know. So uh, the timing is very good, I must say. Yeah, I, uh, you know, it's, I think uh, the hundred it was a hundred year anniversary of the Rose Bowl, right? I'm, yeah, I'm I gonna, think so. I'm going to say, and uh, Greg, if you could be so kind, I'm going to say the first one the Irish played in was it you know the name Stanford, or was that later? Oh, it might, well, I don't What a trek getting from South Bend to out there, and before you had planes, eh? I mean, it was two and a half days on a train. Oh, actually, yeah. Actually, one and a half day. What did my grandfather say? It was two days and a night from Chicago, or two nights and a day, whichever you preferred. 
all the way to LA. Yeah, it's been pretty, yeah, pretty good for really the last hundred years. You know, cross continental travel, trade travel. Under. So it's a destroyer. That, it was, they have a destroyer out there, right? Yeah, it's a destroyer. Um, and also, Venezuela is sending small speedboats to help the Hooties. I think so. How do you send a small speedboat across the Atlantic? Anti-ship speedboats. That's a long trek. Well, well provisioned, I hope. Yeah. What the hell? So you start off from Venezuela, head to the Red Sea in a small, in a small navy boat. Boy, oh boy. Well, this kind of proliferation is not good, pal. I, I think you know the longer the thing drags out, which seems to be. A, the parties involved, at least, seems to be their goal to drag it out as long as possible. You've got more and more possibilities of alignment and engagement, and you know, dragging the conflict to other places, um, and the, the consequences for for trade and you know, peace elsewhere you know, are just going by the wayside. So, when did Venezuela become a, a in their own mind a world power? They can't even they can't yeah, make money. They can't, people can't can't get on a bus. What are they? What is with these people? Uh, you know, I, th I think it's part of some other strategy, just as a distraction, because um, they certainly have allies in the, the world of nefarious nations. So it isn't like they operate independently. I don't think of that. I, think well, it, I thought we just uh, kind, of kind of deal with them to buy mortar oil or something. Yeah, that, that's you know, we shouldn't be doing that. But you know, this is kind of the, or maybe it's the other way. I mean, there's maybe other ways to engage backwards. a country than by just throwing money at them. So. Well, Greg is clarifying himself here. Maybe, maybe it's Iranian weapons have been deployed in Venezuela. Maybe and then. Oh, all right, that makes more sense. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. And then Iranian. And God knows where else too. So Iran, Iran, Iran is just going to they're just going to support every every wacko regime in the world. It's Iran's Iran's job. No. Well, if they can you know position them against the U.S. you know and other and its allies, sure. You know, more than more the better for them. Um, I think they're they're overstepping just a hair. These Iranian dudes thinking they're, of their of their ability. I kind of wish we had uh, the Iraqis to mess with them again, like we used to. But yeah, we, we we haven't picked our adversaries very well in all this time. I mean, it, there's it, there's a possibility of all of these you know nations that really aren't capable of carrying out a you know a war of their own, but. Um, they can be overplaying their hand with other people doing the same thing and draw, you know, countries into it that really don't have any anything in play. Um, and I would put the U.S. somewhat in that category, too, although we're so heavily invested politically and financially that we can't extricate ourselves from it. But we, we're pushing in the wrong direction with this. And, uh, well, you know, I, I actually was thinking about it uh, last night a little bit during a football game. This is kind of the, the the one time when politically, well, I don't know about the one time, but the political seemed to me the the political. I mean, I can't even tell. I don't even know the policy of the various the various uh, parties anymore. I mean, I really don't. I mean, I, I can't. I, I mean, I, I know that the uh, there's some differences in how you spend the money, and clearly there's differences in how you shout at each other between Republicans and Democrats, but. To me, it, 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 there's a blaring lights of all sides, foreign and domestic, that we have to get our economic act together and just pushing the stock market up 
is, is, is a, as an illusion is clearly not the way to go about it. I mean, it may not. I'm not saying we should <coughs> run the market down. I mean, I don't want people losing money, but uh, the idea that um, the, the what people are sensing on the domestic side is we don't have our domestic ship together. People are clearly sensing on the foreign side, and they see us weak. And it really doesn't matter to some people if you if you think out far enough like the Chinese are doing, of course they're in a worse shape than we are. Uh, if you think out far enough, you look at people economically as to whether or not they're going to be stronger or weaker 10 years from now and you make your plans of it, you know, like that. And uh, and, and we, we have to do that here. We can't, we got to stop the BS of, you know, let's, let's cut taxes and, and uh, well, cut taxes is always good, but cutting taxes with the illusion that somehow or another we're going to get more money in we got we got to stop spending a whole bunch of money God knows what direction with the idea that it's be so good for everybody that we're going to end up with more money I mean come on this, this is this is insanity I mean, this is I mean this is not right or left this is just stupidity just to get money to, to your buddies I mean and with the what, what, all the people that are that are getting the big dough either in these bills or in these taxing they're all going to leave here they're all going to they're all going to move to Sweden or someplace I mean well that's we don't seem to care if they do well I mean I, Actually, if you want to leave, leave. But I, but I mean, the whole point is, it, it seems like uh, we're de- we've definitely lost lost this. What's all in, we're all in this together kind of attitude. That if you can if you can if you can pick off enough people and make enough money in two and three years, raise your prices, do whatever you are. I'm not, I'm not saying that anybody who makes money is wrong. I mean, hell, I want to make money for me and my people. Uh, but the somehow or another. You've got to get this attitude out that you, by if we grow as a as a country, everybody can can make some dough. And the people that are growing by two percent, and other people that are growing by six percent, they're either luckier, they're trying harder, or whatever they're doing. I don't think anybody has a problem with that necessarily, John. I really don't. I mean, clearly the World War II group didn't. But this idea now that the only way for somebody to get ahead somehow is for you know, to, to to somehow cheat on somebody else. If you got a firm together, it's not whether the firm makes any money ever or you keep your employees forever. It has to do if you can blow the stock up there and get your stock bonus and you get out of there with a billion dollars and leave or something. I mean, that's that to me is not, that's not my America. I mean, you're supposed to sort of be in it together where everybody grows. And I, I know the idea of, of uh, you know, I'm, I'm much better off, I think the world's better off with, with you know, a hundred bass boats at ten thousand a pop, what is that? A million dollars? Then one million dollar yacht. I mean, that's just me. I just—it's not only—it's just plain healthier because more people have more money, and that way the people who are more entrepreneurial, have more men, more money to you know have more if they have ideas. The ideas fall on fertile ground because people have dough. And right now, I mean, I think a lot of people are hurting. I mean, I, I just heard something on the way in this morning about how many people have not paid off. And their credit cards, their last year's Christmas presents. Well, you know that's tough. I mean, because uh, especially, and you can you can tell that happens a lot because I must have, I don't know about you guys, I have to have had seven or eight solicitations for credit cards in the last two weeks regarding you know uh, first nine months free or something. You know, anything you charge, anything you transfer balance. If you transfer balance, you got to give them some money up front. But uh, that used to be 3%, by the way. Now it's 5 in most places, which is kind of a lot. Uh, so, they, you know, it, it's all about 
tricking people into spending money with their, and they think they're going to pay it off, and then all of a sudden they can't. And I'm going to say, what percentage of people do you think charge a bunch of stuff the last in that, in that nine months, thinking that they can't, you know, that they're going to pay it off, and then they don't? I mean, they want, it's got to be over half, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Well, and the default rate on credit cards, time, I think, is at an all-time high. Uh, which I think would, would also explain why there's so many solicita- solicitations for credit cards because that, you know, started to stall and you know, credit card companies aren't making money on the people who were defaulting. Uh, at least not, you know, short term, maybe long term. They, they can't. Well, you know, there's another they, accounting. I was having an adult beverage with one of the guys at the uh, Fed. This is, you know, long before COVID. And I said, hey, you know, you guys are moving these interest rates down, but you're not doing a very good job of moving it down for regular people. I mean, these credit card rates are pretty high. And I said, okay. And they're high. Well, they got to keep them high because all the people default. Well, first of all, they, whenever you talk about people fixing prices, in my mind, you're talking about a cartel, right? Because in a perfect competition world, you don't get to change prices. If, 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 you, if you give out credit to people who are maybe not as worthy as other people and, and they all default that's sort of your problem right it doesn't mean that you get to you know raise the money and raise the stuff on the other people but my question to him was okay okay like Greg, Greg Pappas you know gets married he and the wife go out and buy ten thousand dollars worth of furniture whatever the intention of paying that off and all of a sudden something happens somebody gets sick somebody loses a job whatever they don't pay it off now all of a sudden their interest rates are 28 percent they miss a payment now they're thirty percent or something. Plus they get dinged for missing the payment. So now it's three years later and they're trying to fight their way back. I have to believe their bill is twenty-five, so or, or eighteen or something. So my question to him was, how how much money of the original ten that the Pappas family paid for this furniture? How much of the of that money was actually paid back? So when the when the, the bank writes off this magnanimous 18 or 19 or 22 or something, how much of it's real money or how much of it is, is, is expenses that they piled on? And he looked at me and he said, well, that would be an interesting number. I said, yeah, it would. I mean, if you if you made it by paying back eight and, and your bill is still whatever, I mean, I happen to know um, kind of a family member. He was, he was one of these guys that got caught. Uh, he was an entrepreneur and he got caught uh, between his Credit between anyway, between had some of his personal stuff and had some of his business stuff on the same credit cards, which is a very was used to be maybe still is kind of a real common mistake people have made, and uh, of course a lot of times it doesn't matter because they make you do a personal guarantee in the business anyway. The dude has uh, all his debt, and he ends up getting divorced, and he ends up with these credit card balances that you know I, they might they might even still, still be with him today. I don't talk to him about it, but. I have to believe, John, that he has paid back at least two to three times. Oh, sure. The original, Absolutely. the original number, and he's still so deep in hack he can't see, can't see out a hole. I mean, I mean, at thirty percent, you you can get up there pretty quick. You know, I mean, it's it's just a horrendous situation. And at some point, you say, hey, you know, I owed you fifty grand. I paid you two hundred. Isn't that enough? And their answer is no. You know, I mean, it, it, we're talking about stuff that could go on years. I, you know, I just whatever. I mean, and, you know, with, with the with the possibility of bankruptcy, you know, which you know, the, you know, the credit card company, companies will get stiff. They don't like that. 
but what it really means is they have to continually look for new people to lure it into the system and there's you know there's people who have maybe straightened themselves out over the years credit wise or you know don't want to go back or have never done it and don't know what they'd be getting involved in but if they can be lured in to apply for a credit card and they're already kind of thinking well it's pretty hard to keep my ship afloat with what I'm making on two jobs strung together with one of them kind of precarious these days well maybe I'd I, sh I should be putting some money away. Maybe I should find some other way to, you know, live you know, besides the way, what I'm just earning here. There's always new people and, and people who haven't been down this road and know the dangers of it who can easily get sucked in and then have some kind of financial reversal that nobody expected. And, you know, they're, they're chewed up in the system like everybody else. So it's always about getting new, new unsuspecting or, you know, kind of optimistic people in. You know, and watch them gamble away the, the possibility of future financial health. So, it's an old story, I think, and we've seen it before. Um, and there's a lot of people who never bounced back, and you know, people who did, you know, were greatly reduced in their life style and their life expectancy and everything else. Uh, but you never really can get those numbers. You, you don't really see them figured into any of this. Um, but I too have been getting a lot of these solicitations, and you know. Um, apply for credit cards at vendors I've never used before. You know, you know, they take your information right away. Do you want to apply for a credit card today? This this has become a common thing. I actually don't and get the vendors. Shows, I, I just get the banks. There's a million yeah, banks. Yeah, well, the banks and, you know, other places that, you know, I just shop at sporadically that I didn't even know they had a credit card of their own. But I think they're all looking for ways to lure you in with perks or point systems or whatever else they can get away with until Dick Durbin's legislation becomes law. What, what's <laughs> that? Companies are not going to offer anything. Well, uh, it's the credit card protection. I can't remember the acronym for it. But he's, he's clearly been, I think, bought by the, you know, the credit card industry in this. Um, the net effect is they, I think they're really going to cut back on any kind of incentives they have for using um a credit card, you know, where you amass points or you get discounts or whatever, um, that that's I think going to be drastically reduced. I mean, it's being billed as something completely different from that, but I think that's going to be the net effect from what I've been reading. Well, I mean, um, I, and I, it's pretty hard to get, I mean, get hard to get information about it too. But it sounds like something that the credit card companies would find somebody in the Senate to get behind it, and you know they'll you know shriek it from the rooftops until it gets passed. Well, so. I, I would think, I, what I what little I know about it, it's the is uh, an attempt to stop the credit card companies from demanding the rebate from the retailer to the right. to the point where, uh, you know, a lot of places now, especially on the south side, if you go for breakfast, they want they want three percent or or something five percent for a credit card because that's that's the re that's what I mean. I, my Discover card for a while it was they do this five percent thing every quarter. Different wanders around. I think it was five percent for restaurant meals one quarter or something like that or four. Well, who the hell's paying that? I mean, they're not. It's got to be the. I mean, why? You know, I don't. In this day and age, I don't see how why a restaurant should have to pay these guys four percent. I mean, it's a little high, don't you? And, and oh I, yeah. And I think right, you know, they got these places somewhat over a barrel, and I, you know, I don't know that that's. You know, I mean, uh, but but it, it's at a point where uh, there's a there's a little breakfast place by uh, Audrey's. It's owned by you know these two older ladies, pretty much, and uh, 
I think they're only open till three. Anyway, it's a great little spot. All the people, people Moreland, all the politicians go in there, and you, you, you feel free to, if they get to the table next to you is having a conversation, you can hear them. You just join right in, kind of place you know, one, of, one of those kind of little spots for breakfast. Anyway, one day their their machine didn't work, so they put up, you know, cash only. This morning machine doesn't work. You wouldn't believe the people that were walking up to the door and turned around and walked away. I mean, they, they don't have an ATM, but uh, most people don't want to take. Uh, cash out of your ATM on a credit card anyway because there's a fee there but uh, anyway I mean, it's just it's kind of crazy and other people were talking about you know, why should anybody have cash and blah 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 at a New Year's dinner with you know one lady who's all into this new world I mean she's all into uh, she's been she's actually been on the show uh, once or twice I mean and she's absolutely all into this new world I mean what what's wrong with people amassing on the toll road, you know, even if to build a tower somewhere else and find out if you're on another street. The people in the city who really work in those departments need all that information so they can figure out what street to widen next. They go, you got to be out of your mind. But young people, some of them actually believe this crap. You know, I, I mean, I, some of it all could be used for good purposes, I guess, but I don't know if the majority of it is, John. I mean, uh, you know, just sort of, sort of just well, saying. It, it, you know, the, the problem too now, Tom, is not that many people carry around enough cash to cover a restaurant tab for two or three people anymore. No. Given what restaurant meals cost, and they, they can't carry enough cash to do that over a, a several day period without worrying that they lose their wallet or somebody holds them up or something else. So I can see why people want to use credit cards and can only use credit cards if they go out to eat, because they're, they're not carrying around the kind of cash that. Well, you if, know, you, they, if you don't want to, if you're. If you're unwilling to carry around enough cash to have breakfast with, maybe you're paying too much for breakfast, just saying. Right, right, right. But I have a an interesting uh, anecdote to this. Don't we have to go to break. I don't know if Joel's calling in after the Michigan big win yesterday. If he does, he does. If not, you're going to hang around, John, a little bit. I, but I, one of the things that I've noticed from some of the people who have these, uh, well, I guess I use the term lower-end insurance policies, some of, these, some of the policies now are... are 30, 40, 50 percent on you. And I'm going to say that not one of the people that I know that has one of these policies, if they ever end up in a hospital emergency room visit and the, and the visit's 10 grand, is capable of ponying up to 5G out of their bank account. It, you know, just out of petty cash. So I, th- I think if you look, I mean, I don't know, maybe Greg can research this because he's good at this. I think that a real high percentage of people having a balance on a credit card when they didn't want to have a balance is not because they got up one morning and bought two bass boats. I think it's an expense that they didn't expect. Right. Absolutely. And uh, is I don't think any, anybody, well, I might won't say that. I already did. But I don't think anybody says, gee, look, this one's only 25% versus 30 We can spend all we want and only have to pay 25 I hope that person isn't around. <laughs> you know, but... You know, I don't know the education system being the way it is. Maybe they are. I, I, I you know, I, but I mean, I, I think all, so. all you have to have is you know your your boiler bust. You know, during the winter when you need heat, or you you know a tooth extraction that you weren't expecting ever to have to worry about, and a tooth you didn't even know existed. <laughs> and all of a sudden, that now you don't have the money to pull out of anything without you know creating consequences elsewhere. So you you put it on the the tab, and well, you know. With the price of getting a new boiler now, or, or getting a tooth extraction, or getting your, your pet in and out of the vet's office, is sky high compared to what it used to be. Well, I don't I mean so the idea of, of, of pet ownership now. I mean, I don't know how you, you know, the, 
they they charge more than a than than, than doctors, right? And you know, there's a, the tremendous shortage of veterinarians. I was talking about this to my nieces over Christmas because uh, they hear about it in their you know programs in college. People apply to med school at this time or to vet school or whatever, and how few vet schools there are left. And as a consequence, it's really hard to, to get an appointment at a veterinarian. People are you know, moonlighting all over the place, I think, because they can. They can charge top dollar. Uh, um, if you don't have a, a full-time vet on staff, you, you get somebody else who floats around. And there's enough of those people that they can kind of name their own price for it. Well, if you ever get stuck in one of these emergency summer. vet funders, but you better have a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, and I have great respect for those places, Tom, because I've used them and I, I've, I admire their skill. Yeah, but, but they are, but they are, and you know, you you pay lavishly, you know, the care there. SP futures and down thirty three, Nasdaq futures down one sixty six. Hopefully, we'll have Joel after break, but he might be basking in the Michigan wind. We'll be right back, yeah. Saxon Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. I'd say in a given week, I probably only do about 15 minutes of real, actual work. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Hall, Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures down 33, NASDAQ Futures down 165, Dow Futures down 195. We have uh, an Iranian warship, evidently somewhat of a destroyer ca- capability. I don't know how many of those they have, or who they bought that from. Uh, it entered the Red Sea after we knocked off some of the Houthi boats. Is that how you pronounce that? Houthi? Or is it, I, I don't want to be mispronouncing it constantly, though I probably am. Um, so we have uh, a lot of that stuff going on. We also have uh, Barclays has downgraded Apple, um, which you know, and Apple's down pushing four two percent down three forty six one eighty nine oh seven. I think it made a new high last week. Well, not today, at least so far. We're in Europe. We've got the uh, DAX down forty five. Either twenty three month high, but under sliding just a little bit. Down forty five. That's point three percent. FTSE down twenty seven point three. Kick around on 34.4, so they're down, but not, not like we are. Uh, Nikkei down 75.2%. Hang Seng, if they're one day over 17,000, one day above water, they're down 258, 16,788 back flying down. Shanghai down 12.4%, 2962. Starting to get pretty far away from that 3,000 number. Uh, I don't think they can get it back there in a day. It'll take a little bit. On Friday, uh, 
we were down 20 points in the Dow. We were down 13 in the S&P. NASDAQ down 83. We kind of whimpered into the end of the year. Uh, bonds up uh, 9 basis points, 3.96. Heading back toward 4, it looks like. The bond up 6 basis points, 2.09. Japan up 3 basis points, 0.62. It's all because of its heightened tensions, I believe. Well, up a dollar 71. It's still 73.36 was higher than that last week. Uh, but that's still a big move. That's 2.5%. Run up a buck 80, 78.84. Natural gas up 13 cents, 265. Arab up 5 cents, 215. We've got gold up 350, 2075. Maybe going to make a run at 2100. I say that every week, it never makes it. Silver up 3 cents, 24.12. Copper down a penny, 387. We've got Bitcoin up 1887, 45,599. It's going to be our savior, Bitcoin, something that's based on no- nothing, whatever, in my opinion. And we have the U.S. dollar is. Uh, is, is up today. We got the euro down to 109.6. It was over 110. British pounds down to 126. It's down 74 basis points. So they're down. Their dollar's up like half a, half a percent against the boat of those. The boat of those. Greg, what do you have for us? Traffic Weather Sports. Good morning, everyone. 635 here in Chicago. 28 degrees. 41 today. Breezy with clouds. Phoenix, 45 right now. 65 today. Again, uh, partly cloudy there, too. Traffic inbound Kennedy from Montrose, 9 minutes. Edens from Lake Cook, 21 minutes. Eisenhower from Wolf, 14 minutes. The inbound Ryan from 95th to the interchange, 13 minutes. And the Stevenson from 294 to the Ryan is 16 minutes. NCAA men tonight, we've got NU at Champaign. So that's tonight at 8. NFL Bears beat the Falcons. That was 37-17. Are they going to make the playoffs? Uh, I believe they were eliminated. So I don't think they barred, were they? Yeah, they were, they were eliminated from contention. Now the question is um, what to do with that first pick because Carolina is truly terrible. Um, NCAA football, we've got a lot of bowl results. Cotton Bowl, Missouri 14, Ohio State 3. Peach Bowl, Ole Miss 38, Penn State 25. Orange Bowl, Georgia 63, Florida State 3. Yeah, ouch, Florida State probably dropping their uh, threat of a lawsuit. Fiesta Bowl, that was Oregon 45, Liberty 6. And the two good ones, Rose Bowl and Sugar Bowl. Rose Bowl, Michigan, beating Alabama 27-20 in overtime. And the Sugar Bowl, Washington 37, Texas 31. Um, that's all I got, Chief. What do you, uh, Back do we have Joel? We do. Joel, how are you, buddy? It's next Could week. Could it be better? Could next. it be better here yeah, on this great. Tuesday, Chief? So you're going next week, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't make this one uh, on vacay with the family, but uh, woke up here and uh, said I got to talk to Chief and and grow about my predictions on your show over the last couple weeks. Talking about the Michigan Wolverines just dominating. Well, it wasn't quite a domination. Until I was say, what, the, what uh, game were you watching dominating? It looked to me like you got the overtime. It's a great game. It was is one of the most fantastic games, and it's just uh, the pressure that the the university and the school has been under, and the way they've handled things. Uh, just every media outlet across the country, you know, it was Michigan against everybody, and uh, they just stuck to their, you know, to their mantra. They ran the ball late with Blake Corum. Defense uh, stepped up, and uh, it's just uh, it's really you know of my. <laughs> nearly you know 55 years of watching football i think i have to classify that as uh, one of the most satisfying victories ever with the circumstances with the sec with the allegations with everything that's going on 
it's just uh, it was just a great victory and uh, looking forward to taking on those Washington Huskies in Houston. What do you make of those guys? I haven't watched them this year, but they looked pretty good last night. The kid's got a pretty good arm at quarterback. He's great. They got a great quarterback. They got great wide receivers, uh, solid defense. Uh, I was surprised to see the spread at uh, at four and a half, but uh, that's what it is. That's what Michigan's favored by. So um, just uh, you know, going to regroup, do some uh, recruiting and stuff, and uh, I will be. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to make the call from uh, Houston next Tuesday, but I know everyone wanted to hear from me and my braggadocious Michigan talk. I know it really gets on it really gets on people's nerves. I just wanted to touch on the Motor City Kitties too. Uh boy, they got screwed in that game against Dallas. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw that. Uh, but um you know I, I think that you know you make these runs into the playoffs and everything and it's you know you gotta win a lot of games to win the Super Bowl. So even though it was a loss, um I think it's still gonna keep the uh the focus on the team. And uh, just going to the markets here real quick, because this is stocks and jocks. Um, big turn here, yeah. you know. Uh, two more days left of the Santa Claus rally. Uh, looks like a lot of uh, geopolitical pressures are, are really coming to roost in the market here. So I just, you know, people look for the classic seasonality pattern, Santa Claus rally, uh, whatever, by Yom Kippur, so uh, Russia Shana. I think 2024, you can throw out your stock traders' almanac. You can throw out your rules before, uh, you know, many of the things that you filed in the past. And I think it's really going to be a uh, a dynamic year in the markets. It's an, it's an election year. Uh, never had more things going on, on the geopolitical front. So people that have ridden this rally up and are sitting fat and happy and going to ride this market to 5,500, 6,000 S&P speaking in uh, this year, I think it's going to be, you're going to be in for a few, a few surprises. I, I uh, mean, I don't normally, you know, because we have, you know, we have a nice list of clients now, but I, there are some people out there, I mean, you, you really have to, in, in one man's opinion, and this is not, well, this is life advice, it's, you really have to look at this coming year and, and just say, if if you were smart enough to stick with your your magnificent sevens and like double up at the beginning of the year, and I don't know who the hell that would be, but man, there's got to be somebody uh, thinking that they were going to have a massive comeback from from last year, the year before last. Now, and they did, and you've got them running up here, and they're all pretty much at a lot of them are at all time highs. I and worth you know trillion. We're talking trillions of dollars. Real, a lot of it's funny money, in my opinion. But if if you think that 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 same policy is going to work for 2024. It, it could very well, but, but I don't know. I mean, for you not to rebalance if you've got two or three stocks in your portfolio that have like doubled and tripled and the others haven't. I mean, I, I don't think you can just ride forward on this one. And I think the the manager, you know, what you had last year, I think right. This might be one of those years. The next two, it's not how much you make, but how much you keep, Joel. I mean. Uh, yeah, you know, I would say, and, and it's very hard because you and I both talk to uh, people of all different investment modes, right? Yep. You know, talk to people that are new into the market, and then you talk to people that are, <clears throat> you know, middle age or maybe have kids, you know, planning to go to school or getting them a new car. And then, you know, we also talk to sophisticated long-term investors that are in the market. They 
theoretically have enough money to retire on and leave some to their kids. I think this advice would be more to to the latter group is, you know, you've written a lot of things out in this market. Just I'm only going to go back to the financial crisis um, and then the COVID and you've seen the, the ups and downs. You know, where are you at in your investment horizon? You know, do you need to be taking inordinate risk in the markets on the upside? I just think, you, and you and I know, I know you know the option markets, uh, ways to protect your assets. I mean, right now you're still getting good money in the bank at four and a half, five percent. Inflation's coming down. I mean, there's a lot of alternatives to just being you know, heavily loaded into this market. Yeah, it feels great when it's going up, but man, when those days of reckoning come, it's it's not a good feeling. And people are complacent when the market's going up and then when it turns and things and I'm not I'm not predicting that and then I'm not saying there's any great crash. I'm just saying that the the expectations for upside potential in the market right now are so exaggerated that you just have to you have to take an even stance and and I, I, that's what I encourage investors in the market is to look at your portfolios you know <clears throat> see where you're at in life see how you want to you know leave your money and then look at it where you are and locking in because there's nothing worse than not predicting a COVID or not predicting a war can't the things that are going to happen you can't predict but very important point of the market here that close on Friday, right near the highs for the year. You got a great level to keep an eye on. We get above that. Okay, rah, rah. Put the bulls on. But starting out in the red this morning, two days left of the Santa Claus rally. Let's see if we can take back 4,800. Well, I think, we've, you know, maybe we can. I I just, the, the advice that people hear are just, I mean, the, the, the people that you, that you, the people that you talk to or listen to, they're all their whole their whole setup in managing your money is just everything just balls out long basically. So they're <laughs> they're going to constantly tell you, oh, you know, we're going to charge you percent percent and a half, and oh by the way, we're just long, and oh by the way, we'll pick stocks better than the next guy, which maybe they can, maybe they can't. Uh, but that's just it. It's up to you to keep in, and oh by the way, if if we've seen for the last twenty years that the, you know the the, the market is the government's oyster it's the wealth oyster they're not going to let it go down well you know i don't know we have several economists on the show which we'll talk about later you know we have pay on saying that they they've they've run that as far as they can of the of just constantly prepping up asset prices and you know and i say right now i think you should look at your portfolio and look at it like you can get five five and a half percent in alternative investments and maybe maybe somebody Three years ago, you might say, when I'm getting 1% in alternative investments, I'm going to stay in the market. This year, you might say, you know what? I, I made 30% last year. I'm going to take 5% out, 10%. I'm not saying unload everything. It just, it just, it, it's a new look, Joel, with maybe somebody new to look at it with you, you know, not just the old guy saying, stick with me. Um, Risk anyway. is a four-letter word. Yep. You just have to remember that, Chief. Okay. All right, take care of yourself, buddy. SP Futures down 34, and as okay. Futures down 181. You just go right to Kenny? Why not? Yeah, why not? He's right. Kenny, how are you, buddy? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. I was I was talking uh, about about you last night. Oh wow, you were. Was it all good? I hope. Oh, absolutely. I went to my uh, brother's. We had a, a little bit of a New, uh, New Year's Day shindig, and uh, since one of the group is all is all coveted out, 
they weren't there, so it was kind of a half group. Um, we were talking about uh, next New Year's Eve. We usually have our Christmas Eve. We usually have a uh, uh, beef brisket and some other stuff, and uh, Dan makes homemade lasagna and uh, noodles and the whole bit. And we right. talked about next year. I said, you know, this dude Kenny's one hell of a chef, and uh, we might let's try to do, uh, at least do a few of the fish recipes that he throws at us, <laughs> and uh, for 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 uh, Christmas Eve and. We have other stuff, and I'll pick a couple of the fish recipes, and we'll start with that. If we like it, we'll work our way up to seven. So, <laughs> yeah, it's always a good night, you know. For me, it's a, it's just a tradition. I've been doing it since, uh, you know, since I, since I was born. My grandparents started it. My parents finished it. I've been doing it now for my wife and I've been doing it now for nearly forty years, and uh, it is what it is, you know. You know, I have a question for you because you know more about the the food history and stuff. When I was real young, the Irish side of the family, my aunt was alive, everybody else, the males were all dead at early ages, unfortunately. <laughs> but she would have, her, th- her Christ- New Year's Day dinner was traditional. They would have goose and potato dressing. Now it's, you can't even find a recipe anywhere for potato dressing, really. And I, but yeah. she'd have, she'd have, they'd have roast goose. And, and I, I know a couple of people in Ireland, they say, where did that come from? I, I have no idea, but that's what, that's what the Irish people did here from, from some area. And that was... Uh, it was always pretty good. I mean, uh, you know, it's hard yeah. to cook goose, but it's, she did a pretty good job. Yeah, I, you know, I've never had goose. It's funny. That's something I've never had. Uh, but yeah, that had to be an that I'm sure had to be an Irish tradition, right on the first day of the year. Um, typically, you know, we would do we would do something like uh, raviolis or menegottis or lasagna on the first day of the new year because that's just what we would do. Well, that's not bad. But, no, that's not bad. That's not bad. <laughs> One way or the other, as long as you're up and eating on the first day of the new year, that's always good, right? Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, well, uh, what, what do you make of uh, you know, what's we had this massive run up last year. We have everybody, you know, yeah. I'm cheering the year, but I'm not cheering the complacency. Uh, no, that, well, and that's a problem, right? So we're cheering the year because it was a great year. Nasdaq up 42 percent, S and P up nearly 26 percent. All well and good. We got that rally into the end of the year. A lot of people wanting to lock in profits, but. You know, made a decision. If I wait another two weeks until January first or January second, January third, I can lock the sales in then, and then put off paying the taxes for another sixteen months. So why would I make a sale in Apple in, on December twenty eighth when I can make it on January second? And look what Barclays did today. Right away, they come out and they downgrade Apple. Right? Okay, whatever. But they downgrade Apple, which only now gives. Uh, which is, in my mind, going to give some motion to these people going, I've been locking some of these profits, and you see the market uh, this morning selling off. Makes it makes perfect sense to me. It's not the beginning of the end. I, you know, I've been I've been saying this since December that this was potentially going to happen, and it is happening, and it's fine. But uh, do I think that 2024 is going to be a repeat of 2023? Uh, I don't think so. It's hard to see the Nasdaq up another 45 percent. I mean, could it happen? Sure, uh, but. Do I think there's a floor on sucks? I absolutely think they do, especially if the Fed is going to cut rates six or seven times the way the narrative is now saying, right? And it's a presidential election year, so certainly they'll want to keep a floor under stocks versus letting them completely collapse. And so, therefore, I think there's some protection to the downside. But I don't necessarily think that we're going to see another, you know, 45% rally in the NASDAQ, which doesn't mean tech is a bad play. You need tech. Tech is going to continue to be the story going forward. 24, 25, 26, 27, and especially, you know, this year, you might get a lot of action in tech and especially in the cyberspace, just because it is, there are major elections happening around the world, um, 60 different countries, you know, with their legislative, their presidential, their uh, their regional, whatever, they're all happening. 
Uh, and so I would suspect, certainly in the in the developed nations and the in the westernized nations, that you're going to get lots of uh, you're going to get lots of erroneous data on on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter and you know people pushing ideas that uh, as they try to affect the election. So I think there's going to be a lot of actually opportunity um, in the tech space and in cybersecurity as they try to manage that that misinformation flow. So um, so uh, I'm not I'm not you know I'm bullish. Uh, but I think there's a no- near-term kind of correction coming, and that's okay. Well, I'm, a, I'm not certainly not bearish on, on tech in terms of innova- no. innovation and things like that. Right. I also wasn't bearish on uh, innovation in 2000, but the five and six leading stocks just got to a level where they were just too high. But they, they didn't. Right. In the next 10 years, they weren't tech anymore. Right, you know, right. so you you run that danger. You you could be so pro tech here, the man of the moon. That doesn't mean that five years from now, Apple and Meta and some of these stocks are, aren't lower than they are now. Uh, agreed. Yeah. And you could have new names that suddenly yeah. emerge in tech space. Right, that's a constant. Is that there there are new names, and tech is more than just the magnificent seven. Let's be honest. We yep. talk about the but there's tech in almost every stock you you own today. Whether it's banking, whether it's healthcare, whether it's utilities, there's. AI and tech in everything. So you're getting exposure, but, you know, to direct exposure to tech, you know, names like NVIDIA and AMD and uh, Palantir and, and uh, you know, other cyber names and other chip names is where you're going to find uh, a lot of bang for your buck. But I think those should be names that are in a foundational portfolio. The percentage of ownership is going to depend on who you are and where you are in the life cycle. But I think you definitely need exposure to those sectors. Well, I think you, I think you do, too. I, I just, uh, maybe it's because I've been, Doing this for a while, Kenny. It seemed to me that when I when I went back to did a kind of a post mortem on 2000, for lack of a better term, um, yeah, I did. A, it seemed like a lot of stocks, Cisco being one of. I remember doing the calculations on that, maybe Oracle as well. They reached the point where I, I you know, when I, I said, let's let's not look at PEs because the PEs are high, but PEs can be high a lot, and they can just go higher. I mean, I, I don't. I, I started using the, the revenue per share, yeah, thing, and when I, it seemed like when you got Cisco got the ten times revenue. They're trading over sixty, and the revenue was like six and a half bucks or something. And I'm yeah. going that that to me is a, is a massive danger sign, or at least it was back then. And yeah. now, and now everywhere you look, these stocks that's some of them are way over that. I mean, uh, uh, you know, and, and, uh, I, and, I, and that to me is the economy could be fine the next five years. Yet I don't know that Nvidia, Google, Lululemon. Those things they could possibly grow into their revenue. I mean, the the economy has to triple for God's sake. And I don't, you know, well, I don't, and that's why you know you have to create the plan. You got to stick to it. You have to understand uh, what you own, why you own it, and just be diligent about it. Right? Remember, investing is not static. It's dynamic. It changes. So you have to be willing to you know tweak and change uh, the portfolio. Well, I mean, it it comes down to I think there's something to to. Uh, the education, Kenny, that maybe you and I could give a little bit. And again, it's never sure as hell they want to listen to me, which, yeah, that stock's too high or the other one's too low. I mean, on any given day, I learned early on that I can't do that. I mean, the people who say they can, I, I guess maybe they can, but it, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I believe them so much, Kenny. Because yeah, when you trade every day and you walk in a trading pit and you're trading four stocks and you go, well, that one's going up, that one's going down, those two are flat, that you lose that after about a week. You know, <laughs> it doesn't take very long. But I, one thing I I, I, uh, I will say that everything has 
somewhat of a buy price and a sell price, you know, except for people. I mean, there's if, if I went out and bought a, a you know a nice used pickup truck today for fifteen grand, and somebody said, "Hey, I'll give you 20 exactly, I, I might say, you know, I think it's a great buy at fifteen. It's I'm probably neutral at seventeen, but at twenty, it's too high. It's yours. So That's I mean, right. I mean, you 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 can love Apple, right, and, and not love it at one ninety. Correct. I mean, but that doesn't. I'd see in my mind that doesn't mean you blow up the whole position. You might tweak some, peel some up because Apple is a name that, at least in my mind, that that you want to own at some at some percentage. So whether or not it becomes five percent of your portfolio or two percent, I think you still need the exposure to it. You can tweak it. You can you can peel some off. But I wouldn't. I'm not the type of person that's going to blow up my Apple or blow up my Amazon or blow up my Nvidia. I'm just not going to do that. Well, fortunately. In today's world, especially you know, with someone like me around, you you can protect it and learn how to, you know, right. But it, but if it just was, if there was no options, you couldn't you couldn't uh, you know do some kind of a you know buy some put protection on some of it. I'm not saying you know or 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 a lot of it. Or if you think that you instead of having 800 shares of Apple in your portfolio now, you should have 600. You could buy you know a nice wide put spread on maybe 400 of the shares to get yourself in the same place to where you're you're 600 but I mean you need somebody sophisticated like me to help you but my point being if there was no options if something's too expensive Kenny you just gotta dump it well uh, okay but again if it's too expensive I would think I'm not dumping I'm just not dumping the whole thing again I would peel some of it off Yeah, but I wouldn't be dumping the whole thing but I mean I would would say that if the Kenny Polkari I know if he actually thought God, why this Apple's over a hundred? I have no idea, and it's trading right. one ninety. I don't think you'd have any of that in your portfolio just because of the name, just because you have to have it and tell people. I mean, if you really thought it was crazily overvalued, I mean, right now you don't think so because if the Fed does the same thing they did the last two years or three right. years, the stuff's going to go up even more. Right, right, right. Although this morning you see Barclays downgraded Apple, and look, it's down yeah. about one and a half percent or something this morning. Now we're up to one point nine percent, three point seven three. Yeah. And so I think that's just kind of the the flame that lit this this sell off because when I woke up this morning futures were positive and then Barclays comes out with that negative you know Apple's the big it's the big mag seven yeah. name oh, oh it's they're all going to start to unload now and that's I think the tone that we're seeing this morning. But you also the, the, with the the rapidity and the size of the rally last year. Yeah. I mean when you're up you know thirty percent if if we have a crummy year if, yeah. if, if we retrace fifteen percent. You know, it, it's not out of the realm, and I think most people. You know, I'm, I got to believe you listen to the TV today. You're going to have 15 idiots going. Hey, we, we we could correct three percent in my estimate. Three percent? We're just up thirty. Where, where, where are you going to get? Some, how does how does that become your barrier? Anybody's right. going to listen to? Right. If if somebody's looking for for a correction, and they call a three percent correction a correction. They really need to go back to school. Three percent is not a correction. It's well within the normal trend. In fact, a nine percent move is still considered within the normal yeah. trading range. You don't get into the correction territory until you go above ten percent. So, so anything less than ten percent is just normal, right? So, if somebody says, "Oh, I'm looking for a five percent pullback." Okay, that's a pullback. That's not a correction. We had a guy, uh, Kenny, in two thousand. That's why this stuff is because I mean these are individual people that I knew and you know still know, I guess. Uh, yeah. That they, you know. We would talk about same thing we do now. You know, have kind of balanced portfolios, and it was it was a little easier then because the interest rates were were normal. I'll say so. Uh, 
you know, people had more of a, a spread portfolio to start with. But this guy retires from uh, Oracle, <clears throat> and he's got all the stock that he gets when he leaves, right? This thing, yeah. The stock's trading, you know, 65-ish or so. So he says, you know, I want to protect this stuff. I mean, I really need, well, turns out he needed to protect more, and he never even, never told me he had to pay tax on a 65 number. I, You know, ugh, that was bad because uh, it, it was considered ordinary income because he got it that day. He never, right. he, never, he never told me that. So he said, well, you know, I want to protect some of us, you know, cook it down a little bit. And I said, well, what do you want to buy, like the 60 puts? Yeah, that's probably pretty good, or maybe even the 55s or something. All right. So we buy those things, and the stock goes from, 65 to 50 you know so we yeah. paid i think we paid we, these are these are reasonably far out put so say we paid two and a half bucks so now he's down 15 and we made you know seven and a half back which is better than a sharp stick in the eye but he's still down i mean uh yep. cynic gets a 50 and he goes ah man at 50 there's no way oracle can really go much lower let's just buy half of like the 45 puts just in case the world falls apart okay well the stock goes to 40 so we he loses another 10 we make maybe four and a half on those, on half of them. So now we make twenty five percent back of what you. I mean, we're we're helping, but you know, it's, it, we're not we're not. Think, the thing ended up going to like ten, and at, at twenty five, he goes, "No way on earth Oracle's going below twenty five. I don't need any puts anymore." I think it went to like ten or twelve. Right. So I mean, out, out of the whole fifty five hour carnage, because you know he was, there's no way he could get down any lower. That kind of mentality. Maybe we picked up. Out of the 55, we maybe made him 25, you know, or 20, which was, you know, it was better than a sharp stick in the eye, but still it's not, hey, you know, I need I need the whole 65, let's just buy these 65s and that's it, you know, and, and no matter where it goes, we're going to protect it. So you got to be careful with this, you know, app, Apple can only go to 175. Ugh. I mean, I hope it doesn't go any lower than that. I hope it doesn't go down any more because I have people that have it, but you, you, right. you, you can't. Who the hell can say that, Kenny? I mean, I... You- you can't say it. You, you can't say it. You can't say it and think that it's that, think that's exactly what's going to happen. You just can't, right? No, because it's too unsettled. But uh, uh, one, one more question: Bitcoin two hundred thousand? You in on that? <laughs> I'm not in on Bitcoin two hundred thousand. Oh, that would be great if it did. Um, but I am interested. I, I, I do think that we're going to see Bitcoin continue to advance this year. Look, it's already up seven percent. We're two days into the new year. The thing's already up seven percent, trading better than where's it trading? Better than forty-seven thousand this morning, isn't it? Yeah, I don't. Um, uh, I, it, it, it really, really troubles me because I'm in, I'm in the camp that the only difference between that and tulips is a tulip should at least got a tulip. <laughs> well, listen, a lot's going to depend on what happens in terms of regulation this year with Bitcoin, right? And with the SEC and with ETFs and who embraces it. And the word is that, you know, they're going to get uh, Larry Fink from BlackRock to come out and suddenly be the supporter of Bitcoin. And that's going to give it legitimacy and credibility. So we'll see if that happens. But I do think it's going higher. Do I think it's going to 200? Uh, you know, that, that again, that's just a wild guess. Well, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, I... My research I did on the on the, on the tulips was, uh, it, you know, when people just bought it with regular money, it was okay, but it was no risk. Right. And all of a sudden, it got listed on the exchanges, read ETFs, and it became marginable, and that's when the danger came in. Right. So we're gonna well, make we're gonna put this in an ETF, and we let people borrow fifty percent to buy the ETF. I mean, we're really we're I hope we're really not gonna do that, are we? Well, I hope we're not gonna do that. I mean, could they could they could they regulate that and say, listen, yeah, you can buy it in an ETF, but you can't, it's not marginable? Well, could you sure you could. A clearing firm could. Or, right. or the so SEC. The, now, actually, it's the, actually the, the, the Federal Reserve sets the margin rates, but 
uh, the you know the clearing anywhere along the line. I mean, RBC or IB should, could just say we're not we're not lending on that. Right. Then you're not, so they, you're, not obli- you're not obligated to. I, I agree, and so in my mind, so if they're gonna, you know, part of the regulation should be, yeah, it's great, it's a new product, we love it, going to give people exposure, but you can't you can't leverage and double up on this because it's too risky to the whole system. Let, That's my when's the last time you and my common sense made it through to the rules? <laughs> you guys are soft. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Greg says you're we're right. Greg says we're soft. Common sense goes out the window. Good, uh, Kenny. You have a happy new year, buddy, and uh, hopefully we'll be. Everything at the end of the year work out for all of us, and we'll see. We'll all be here next year. SP futures down 39. SP futures down 193. So we're getting worse here a little bit. We'll have the professor, Hal Snar, right after the break. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Hello and welcome to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howard. Greg Pappas on the board. SP futures down on 39.50. Nasdaq futures down 196. Do we have the professor? Hey, Tom, how you doing? All right. Happy do, we still, year. do we still have John with us or did he, did he pile off? We, uh, we don't think we have him. So if he was here, I would want to ignore him. Uh, Hal, how are you? Happy New Year, buddy. Happy New Year. Uh, it's been great. Yeah. Uh, my predictions in the college football playoff panned out, which happens very rarely. So when you bet five grand on each one, you're doing pretty good. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't bet five grand. I don't think I could bet five dollars. Well, there you go. <laughs> no, a guy like Greg Pappas. I, I don't. I don't. I don't bet on college football because so many things can happen in a college football game. You know. I mean, think about this. If if uh, Alabama's quarterback gets tackled um, on one of those sacks in the first half and he sprains an ankle or gets his knee twisted, which can happen. I think Alabama loses by 20 points because that guy is freaking good. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, last night, Johnson. The I thought Alabama's quarterback played terribly. Well, I mean, but he ran the football. I, I think what it is is the offensive line, if you, if you compare UW's you know, offensive line to Alabama's offense line. Alabama's offense line is big, strong, but they're not fast. They're not quick, and that works great for zone blocking and knocking people over. And that's where the quarterback was good. 
on those uh, quarterback runs. And the running game for Alabama was really good. I thought it was really good against Michigan. The problem is when Alabama got behind the sticks, uh, Michigan's pass rush is phenomenal. And that's what I fear for Washington in the national championship game. If Johnson is out and UW has no running game, I think Michigan's going to win the whole thing. Well, they, they're favored by four and a half, right? Yeah, that, that pass rush is so good at Michigan. It's unbelievable. They had, what, five sacks in the first half against Alabama? It's crazy. But when Alabama got its run game going, uh, it looked like Alabama was going to run away with it. Um, so, I mean, an injury to a quarterback like that in the first half, you know, who are you going to call? I mean, the other two guys can't play. I mean, I think we saw that, what, at South Florida? So that's why I don't, I don't bet on college football. There's just so many variables. Just, I mean, you got guys that drop a kick return, uh, try to make a play, and they drop it. Um, that changes the game right there. I mean, I thought Michigan should have been up by 20 uh, in the first half against Alabama, the way they were playing, and they just really made some boneheaded decisions. Well, the, I mean, it's these teams are so even if you lose one or two people. Yeah. But the pros oh, are yeah. the same way. Look at, look, at, yeah. look, look at the Eagles. They must have some buried people that are, uh, you know, I won't say they're, out, they're not out, but they must be kind of the walking wounded. All of a sudden, you yeah. know, those guys aren't, they're not world beaters anymore. Well, yeah, the, the NFL is set up completely differently than college football, though. Well, they I mean, have more the depth. Players, they got a lot yeah. more depth. But, I mean, there's no doubt about yeah. that. That's why. I well, mean, but you, just just the way they schedule. I mean, I, I was shocked to find out that Alabama, Michigan, had only played like six times in the NFL. They would have played every year probably because the best teams from the previous year play against each other in the NFL the next year, right? So there's this parity in scheduling. The NFL, the college football game is completely opposite, where the big boys avoid big boys. Well, so nobody nobody has the depth. That's what. Yeah. That's why the you know my my more lunatic friends that are looking for this, this huge playoff at the end of the year because that's what the world wants. Yeah. These teams do not. They don't have the depth except maybe three or four teams. That's why you see the same three or four teams every year in the playoffs. Nobody else has the depth to play five or six big time games in a row. Nobody does. Well, I, mean, I think. I mean, they do it in the FBS. They do it in the, F, uh, the the FCS. They do it in the FCS, and they play a 16 game uh, uh, playoff there, and they've always done it. So F- I, FCS. I, don't, I don't agree with that. Yeah, the FCS. I don't. I don't agree with that because the FCS does it, and they have even fewer scholarship players. Yeah, but they so also they, they also it. have they're 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 more even, and they, and they, and they don't play anywhere near as many games. They don't play 12 games yeah. plus a plus a play uh, playoff. Uh, you know, I don't. I think they play ten or well, they don't play a lot of games because they have this potential of what uh, three, three or four games we, we, in their. Can you honestly think that, with the possible exception of Georgia and maybe Ohio State, after they got before they had people hurt and didn't play, that that you want you want Michigan playing the sixteenth team? What do you think those those first round games would be like? It'd be like Georgia, Florida State. Oh. Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so because in the NFL we, we hear the, you know, this team is the, the greatest of all time. They're going to be the number one seed, and all of a sudden they've lost five or six, right? Well, so that's I, what I'm I, saying. I, it's I, not who you play. I, it's when you play. I mean, football is a, an amazingly debilitating game. It is. Oh, I agree. I mean, the, but, uh, to, to the point where you wonder how long it's going to last, to be honest. But the, uh, I mean, I, I would say Greg knows more about this. He's Mr. Fantasy, but 10 weeks ago, I would just, I watched the, the the Eagles pretty much whomp up on everybody. I'm going. There's nobody can play against these guys. 
then two weeks later I see Dallas kill somebody and then they look like world beaters then, then the 49ers had two huge weeks in a row now all of a sudden this, this Baltimore team looks like who can beat them you know, but yeah. you never know if all of a sudden three or four of their of their their best guys are walking wounded next weekend. That's why you really like the team that that ends up in the in the bye week because they get a chance to heal up a little bit. But it's it's all about. I mean, if I, and I do think and and but I, but college college is different. I mean, Alabama because you know I use the term cheat or shall we say they're right around the edges. I would say they have the best eighty five man roster. Them or Georgia or. Than anybody else in football. I mean, the Irish have 85 people. I'm going to say the bottom 30 to 35 are never going to see the inside of a game any place. They're just people that are there that didn't grow and whatever. And I don't. I bet the Stanford's of the world don't even have 85 people on rides. If they do, they're struggling to do it. Uh, you know, it's and if all of a sudden your your top five or six people get hurt, I don't. I don't think you got anybody to fill in with. It's it's, it's just different. I mean, you're. You're not yeah. talking about, but you're getting closer and closer to be a professional team. But I think even there, hell, we'll see how it plays out. My prediction, just a strictly economic situation, because I didn't mind the old system. I say the old system 40 years ago so much uh, that you you had a season that a bowl game was a big deal. I mean, but now this, you know, we got to see all these this playoffs, there's money involved, and all this stuff. I mean, there always was money involved, but the I, I don't see where that's going. I, mean, I think you end up with four maybe big conferences, you have 32 teams that buy into the, the the mini pro concept where everybody's getting paid, everybody's bidding for players, just like, you know, out of high school, just like you do out of college. Um, you're going to end up with something like that, and the rest of the teams are going to say, we're just one match below. We're going back to the old way of doing stuff, just scholarships and whatever. And you're not, you're not going to – I don't think a lot of schools that have a lot of money want to hire five and six people just to monitor the, porter, the, the portal and to – bid on people with other people's money and coordinate all this sponsor money and alumni money. I think a lot of schools think that has, that has no part of education and they're just going to drop down. Now other schools are going to embrace it and say, what do you mean? This is this is great. You know, the Alabamas of the world and the Florida states and maybe the Irish. I don't. I bet Northwestern wants no part of it. Russell seems to think Indiana wants no part of it. That all you do all day long is, is, is bid for players on the portal. And you, you think... You think if you were if you were still at North Carolina, they might be into it. Uh, that the, the the trustees are going to sit there and say, "Yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna uh, lob out ten million dollars for just for five new employees and six assistants to to go over everybody in the portal, and that's all they do is monitor the portal and give out bids to players all day long." I don't. I think I think that's a that's a fart in church at the board meeting, don't you? A lot of schools. Well. You know, Oregon, before the uh, mid-1990s, Oregon was atrocious in football. And I, I grew up in Oregon. Oregon State and Oregon got zero assistance from the state for their athletic programs, zero subsidy. And so whatever Oregon football got in terms of revenue, it had to earn, right? So it had zero support. But now Oregon, uh, mid-1990s on, is – a premier program, I would like to have seen them in the playoff because I think Oregon uh, was just as good as, say, Texas. I mean, so, I mean, I like to have seen them in the playoff. But if you have if you have uh, 40 teams in the playoff, the 41st team's going to bitch. Well, I, I don't. I mean, but in the FCS, you had 16 teams. You've always had 16 teams in the FCS. 
from a, I, 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 I am I am so against seventies eighties on. I'm so against these guys playing. If if you could walk around the country and say, okay, instead of playing, what are they playing now, Greg? Twelve games. Instead of playing twelve games, you're going to play nine. And and no more playoffs. I'm all for it. But they're not. They're gonna yeah. they're gonna add three more games to the same twelve and, and you're not gonna get rid of the Big Ten championship. What yeah. do you need it for if both teams are in the playoffs? But well, they're, you know, they're not gonna get rid of it. The Montana Grit the Montana Grizz, they play they have they were thirteen and one this year. Right. So they they played fourteen games this year. I know, and, and you, you wanna but, but my the part the point that I think I'm, I'm having trouble getting forward is you, you can add two games to the or a game to the Irish schedule and have them pick up not that you can't get hurt. You can have you can have them pick up Allegheny State or something. It's not the same as playing Michigan, Alabama, Georgia three weeks in a row. It's it's yeah. I mean, you know, th- those are like pro games. Yeah. You uh, playoffs? Don't talk about it. playoffs. <laughs> you kidding me? Playoffs? <laughs> I just hope we can win a game. There you go. <laughs> when I went to University of Chicago, it, it was so bizarre. Uh, they had to, you know the, the Whatever division, God knows what team. So my my uh, the year before I got there, uh, when I was in grad school, they had scored a touchdown in the first quarter of their first game, and a t- touchdown in the last quarter of their last game. Right, that was it. That's how bad they were. So the next year, they end up playing pretty well and losing this one game, and of course the entire campus erupts that they got jobbed by the refs. So yeah. after after losing over many in a row. All of a sudden, they got they got raped by the refs. Yeah, Ruff. both 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 sides. Whoever loses feels they got robbed, right? But both sides complain about the officials during the game, and I think the officials are just trying to do the best they can. I don't. Well, I don't I think, think they, they, have they are any. too. And, and it's yeah, and it's but, it, but it's really hard to do. Everybody's everybody's it's hard to do. Everybody's yeah. absolutely and, on, I mean, on the edge. Of, let me of, ask you this question: Officials aren't perfect. Why should we expect them to be perfect? The coaches aren't perfect. Did you see those decisions by? Uh, Washington's coach last night at the end of the game, the running back Johnson is limping during the game. Yeah. He should have been on the sideline, and Penick should have taken a couple knees. If you if you want to run some clock, have him boot and then kneel uh, outside the tackle somewhere. You know, run some clock. But the run of this guy who's uh, lame and he ends getting hurt, and that might cost them uh, because they if they can't run the football against Michigan's elite pass rush, I think they're going to be toast. Honestly. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, that, those are boneheaded decisions. Those are bad decisions, and that led to that stud cornerback from Washington getting hurt. Because if if Penix takes a knee, uh, which he should have been doing, which the announcers were calling for, which my brother Rod and I were calling for in, on Facebook post, um, Texas has what ten seconds left. They don't lose the running back, and they don't have to defend like they had to with forty-five sec or fifty seconds left on the clock. And that cornerback doesn't get hurt, so Washington might be out. So coaches make bad decisions too. So I don't understand why we expect referees to be perfect when the coaches aren't perfect. Well, the players I, aren't perfect. We're all, they're all humans. Well, I, I remember up in one game, I was not the world's greatest ump, and uh, <laughs> the guy said, "Hey, you missed that pitch." I go, "Hey, look, I'm up a lot better than your pitcher." <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not so sure that was the proper response, Greg. <laughs> he wasn't well, real happy with me. But the, hey, you uh, remember the ball field that uh, Seinfeld and Costanza played? Uh, Bit Midler's team. Remember that in Seinfeld? Oh, no. 
Well, there's a well. That's that's the episode where George runs over Bette Midler. And she's injured. <laughs> God. And I went. My kids and I last summer were at that Central Park ball field, and this guy—I don't know who he was—some eighty-year-old, typical New Yorker—was just screaming at the umpire, who was just trying to do his job the best he can. And it's a beer league, right? It's yeah. a beer league, and this guy's just ripping the umpire from beginning to end. And I'm like, dude, chill, man. The guy's probably making 40 bucks for the game, if that. <laughs> he well, don't care. They used he, to have, he don't uh, care who wins. They used to have, uh, this is this is in the Park Softball League, right? And uh, at Kelly Park, it was one of the, the top teams, top parks in the city for softball. And we we almost got in it early, which I, they had an A league and a B league. Well, the B league was, uh, I, didn't, I, I was out of town in business, so my brother and this other dude would go to the meeting and if you wanted, the B League was full, but there was an opening in the A League, you know, which was like the best oh. teams in the city. So, yeah. so we, we almost signed up until they got to the part where you have to guarantee a five hundred dollar wager a game. Now this is nineteen seventy eight. You know, that's fifty bucks a guy. That's a lot <laughs> back yeah. then. And uh, but the well, monitor- that would be what three hundred dollars today. <laughs> yeah, but that would be the but the the gambling in the stands. They, they I mean they had a lot yeah. of people go to these games. There was no admission or anything. It was a, just the Park District Bleakers. Wow. But the gambling in the stands was high, and the umpire I bet is making. And there's one umpire, the poor guy's making probably ten bucks a game. You know they're on that guy the whole game. And what, what would possess anybody to do that unless you like abuse? I mean, uh, you did you got, did you guys play against uh, Rob Lowe's team in uh, about last night? Him and Jim Belushi's team. Well, you, no, I don't know. I don't know what league they were. But the uh, the uh, we, those fields. It was, it was a beer league in that in that movie. It was well, actually, league. no. They, but they they were every league was different. I mean. Uh, we played in the finance league, which was the okay. all the all the the, the, the uh, brokerage firms and the people from the trading floor. So there were probably God, had like twelve teams in that league. We played on Monday night. Now my brother played in the, in the when he play, worked for GATX. He was in the manufacturing league, and they were like Tuesday or Wednesday. So every night was like a different a different. Uh, so whatever whatever business he was in, that would have been the night he played. I mean, you, you, I mean we would never play anybody from like the. The manufacturing league or something. Everybody had the, every industry had their own league. There might you know, there might have been a couple open leagues, but we never we weren't in those. But there were there were there was a game every single night at like twelve different diamonds at Grant Park. Wow. Yeah. I mean, did I, you, you ever know, have a player? Did you ever have a player that would uh, just act like it was a Super Bowl and he would he, he would literally run over Bette Midler um, just to win? Well, it was whatever. <laughs> oh, it was it was super high competitive. Really? I mean, wow. you took you took guys out at second base, and when I first started, you wore steel spikes. Wow! And, oh uh, man, my and, brother uh, Todd, my brother Todd played in such a league, and uh, he's kind of tore up from that. He did that for years when he was living in Seattle, working for the IRS. I think they won some tournaments too, some national tournaments. I don't remember, but uh, man, he took it serious. Even even church ball, Todd took it serious. Well, you knew every player on every team. We played in a doubleheader league on the South Side on Sunday. You know, every player and every team. You know, somebody opened up with a new right fielder, the guy got the first five balls to see if he was any good. You know? Yeah, oh, wow. That's so, good, I mean, yeah. you, 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 you knew these people, and they were, it was, they were, it was really good teams. But, you know, the weird part is everybody kind of had another job, and there was a lot of real big guys. Mm-hmm. You know, so nobody really wanted to you know, start, a, start a brawl with somebody because, I mean, in some of these teams yeah. you played against, these guys were like, they were like mountain men, for God's sake. Uh, yeah. I mean, so you didn't. I mean, once in a while there was a little pushing and shoving, but that was you know rare. 
but you were pretty respectful of not taking somebody out. But it, yeah. you know, it was tough well, ball. But I mean, you weren't going to go in and try and you know wipe out a knee at second base or something. I mean, yeah. well, I think if there were uh, if they played football like rugby, I don't think they would be hitting like they do in the NFL. I think wearing a helmet and the shoulder pads uh, creates a bit of a moral hazard. And then on top of that, you want to be on the highlight reel for ESPN, so it just invites these crazy, uh, uh, dangerous hits that hopefully. Um, the officials can keep out the ball game with um, enforcing the rules. So I, th- I think when you add in protective gear, you know. Well, what do you mean protective gear? College, college, they all wear shorts. Yeah, I know. Yeah, did you see the offensive tackle, the left offensive tackle from Washington? Dude was really good against Sweet. I, I can't pronounce his last name, but he has his uh, thigh, or he has his pants like four inches or five inches above his knees, yeah, yeah. and his knees. His knees look like they're one foot diameter knees. He doesn't wear knee pads at all. No, no, no. Guy's no. a phenomenal athlete. Well, I mean, all those guys. I mean, they're. I mean, you don't get to that level and that'd be pretty yeah. good. But some guys are. Well, the, some that, guys that are. offensive line for University of Washington. I mean, they angle block, they get low. Their footwork is incredible. I think they can zone block, but they don't need to. I mean, Alabama. The reason why Alabama's uh, offensive line I thought was so bad against the pass last night is they're just big road graders and they're not quick I don't think they have the greatest football footwork in the world but man you watch the University of Washington offensive line those guys are cross blocking they're combo blocking um, they're getting low they get these angles their footwork I mean they look like fullbacks um, out there playing offensive line 300 pound well there's, there's different they're, definitely they're differences in style and offensive line yeah. I mean Lou will yeah. talk all the time about his Dad just yeah. want, didn't want fat guy leaning on fat guy. I mean, you had to be able to yeah. move and do something. But I mean, so it depends on you know what, what, what you have. If you got a bunch of guys that are, yeah. that's why even in the in every every bad mouse, you know, the Bears coaching, you know, and the, and the offensive coordinators. Well, the simple fact is the Bears have a young kind of crummy offensive line. There's a couple of guys that are pretty good, and they're pretty good at run blocking. You know, where you're the aggressor, but they're not capable. Well, what's their record now? Are they are they almost 500? Uh, they if they win this week, they're eight and nine. Oh wow, that's pretty good. And they got the first pick, right? Yeah, when, when Greg says they've they've finally been eliminated, they they had a chance yeah. to make the playoffs with all the different tiebreakers. I'm gonna have to see. They, how they, they got the first pick because they got it from Carolina. Yeah, yeah. Wow, who do you think they're gonna take? Well, that's the huge debate here. I mean, every, every, half the city wants another quarterback, which I think would be the dumbest idea ever. But yeah. I, I I think you know, you know, it's it's kind of a long. It's sort of a long answer because every draft is different. You know, if you have the number one pick and there's two or three or four people or one person that you think is a generational player, you got to get them no matter what position it is. Well, you yeah, know? I mean, you could get them and you could trade them. Well, but I'm saying no. My, my point is, if, if, yeah. if you're truly, some years the first ten people are all really good. doesn't matter which one yeah. you get. Well, then if a team needs a quarterback, <clears throat> for instance, and is willing to pay up to get one, you can you can trade the number one down to a number six or eight, still get somebody, you know, really good that that uh, and maybe you can get a, a starter on top of it and some other pick later. I mean, you can work a deal, but if it's a year where you know you got a Wooly Roth or somebody like that, you don't you 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 have to get that guy. We're talking you're talking about an All Pro for 15 years, you know. But some years there's a guy like that. There's a there's a Lawrence Taylor. There's a Dick Butkus. There's a 
Willie Rolf, there's a Jan Ogden. They're, but it, it's so rare. And you, and you never can... And, and these are all, a lot of times, in positions where, uh, you know, they're not quarterback. They're not... That's why everybody wants this guy from Ohio State, the, uh, the wide receiver. I mean, he's incredibly talented. But there's a position... The one thing you or I, or maybe Greg, because he does a lot of fantasy stuff, there's got to be some guy sitting on Oregon State who's got a horse bleep quarterback because the first guy got hurt that hasn't gotten a ball thrown to him all year that could be the next, you know, God knows who. So, I mean, you really don't know in that position who the best people are unless unless you're really into the game, you know, and you and I just aren't. But it, but but you, I think, I think, I think the Bears can win with Fields. I think what they do is they quit, you know, drafting quarterbacks. Yeah, they just keep doing that. They just keep drafting quarterbacks left to right, and they and they bring one in to replace the one they drafted, and they ship the other guys off. I think you you build it like Jed Fisher did at Arizona. I don't know if you watched Arizona against Oklahoma, but Jed Fisher turned that program around. I mean, the first year he gets in, he builds the offense up. The second year. He builds up that defense. That defense was really good. I mean, they could turn the ball over. It's crazy how good they are on defense when it comes to turning the ball over. And, I mean, I think Jeb Fisher did an outstanding job at Arizona. And then you got the the beer at Washington who inherited a, you know, broken team. And in two years, he's got them in the national championship game. That guy can coach. I mean, he he made some blunders last night decision-wise. Well, just because a play doesn't work out, I mean, yeah. Even even the guy from Alabama saving it for the game says, "Well, the, the last play was a lousy call because it didn't work." Well, oh, it was know. a it was the worst call I've ever seen in my life. They they isolate the quarterback, so the defense knows this guy's going to run the football. And what does he do? I mean, I don't know if you saw the movie Better Off Dead, but there's a scene in it where the the guy that plays uh, Booger the uh, he tells John Cusack they're on the ski slope called the K twelve, and he goes. Go go that way real fast. When something gets in your way, turn. But this quarterback, I mean, I feel bad for the guy because he's out there by himself. There's no fake. There's no jet sweep fake. There's no tailback that he could fake to. He's there. They got six people on the defensive line. They know he's going to run the football, and they they snap it to him, and he just gets tackled by the butt of his offensive line. I mean, it's crazy how bad that call was. And did, weren't there like two timeouts for that last call? I thought there were like that, two that timeouts. Sure. And that's the best they can come up with? Well, I mean. I mean, that that, that was horrible. I mean, I, the, I, but I the play in Michigan, they were, they were two standard running plays. They just happened to work. Yeah. Well, that Michigan offensive line, man, they are good, too. They can pull and they can get around. And Man, the, the teams that can do that, the teams with those nimble, big 300-plus-pound offensive linemen. That are you guys talking like about fullbacks, the end? Yeah. The end of the game. Yeah. yeah. So the, the first timeout was, um, the first timeout Michigan called because they saw the offense. Yeah. And then the second timeout Alabama called because they saw the defense. And then when they finally did snap it, it was a terrible snap. And you know. Yeah. Good luck. But there's nobody. But he's in the back backfield by himself. And and we know that the the center had problems with the snap all day, but he's back there by himself. He has no nobody to fake two and the defensive line there's six guys in the defensive line and i kept telling on facebook i kept telling uh michigan they, they weren't hearing me they got to go to a five two or they got to do some run blitzing because they got to get on first down because uh when uh, alabama's behind the sticks those defensive that defensive line just pins their ears back and their their pass rush is elite 
And well, the, the offense line for Alabama is not good enough to pass block. But, you, but I mean, you have to. It's very difficult for for fans to sort of. That's what the Bears are in the same situation. I mean, you, you learn more when you watch a team. You, you're not your. It's not quote your team. Not like the Bears are so yeah. big on me, but. I, went to oh, I, had no, I had no fight in the game with Alabama. What was the, was was the Cleveland, the uh, Cleveland, Kansas City game? Was it Saturday? Cleveland, uh, or was it Cincinnati? Cincinnati. Oh, game. I, it wasn't. It wasn't uh, uh, Kansas City. Kansas City was playing somebody else. What's well, I mean, Kansas City? They ended up uh, uh, clinching because they beat somebody. Well, yeah. the team they're yeah, playing division, against, I think. Uh, um, I think it was Cincinnati. I'm not positive because they, they're out of the playoffs. I think Cleveland's in, but. They, they got the second-string quarterback, and he's playing pretty well. But then all of a sudden, near the end of the game, just like the Bears, because they got a guy that can run and they got some other people, they can dick around, basically, because they don't have that good of an offensive line. But you put them in a situation where we're going to have to pass six times in a row, and you guys yeah. are going to have to hold the other guys out. <coughs> they can't do it. Well, that, that, no, they can't. The, 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 the Cincinnati, the, the quarterback all of a sudden had to throw to try, to try and catch up in the last drive. And it looked like a jailbreak. He barely yeah. got the pass before somebody hit him. I mean, if, yeah. if that happens, well, I don't, that, I don't care problem. who you are. Yeah. When, when you when you become one dimensional, those those elite teams with those elite defensive line linemen, uh, it's 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 a smorgasbord. But there's some teams it, that, that they'll walk out and tell a defensive line, yeah. we're, "We're gonna pass," and they still can't get yeah. in. You know, yeah. the Eagles have kind of a line like that. Dallas yeah. has a line like that. You know, there's a few that have it, but not very many. What do you say we go to break, come back, talk markets? Uh, markets, okay. we're not starting the year too well here. Well, SP Futures down 39, NASDAQ is down 189. You're right back, Stocks and Jacks. This self directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know, all while exploring how to live your best life through music, spirits, food, sports, travel, fitness, and a whole lot more. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures. It's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into Wall Street's investment gurus. It's for mavericks who believe in life, luxury, and the pursuit of happiness. It's for you. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 
on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. That is the worst idea I've ever heard in my life, Tom. Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, and back, Stocks and Jacks. I'm talking about Greg Pappas on the board. SP futures up, um, not up, down 35. Nasdaq futures down 178. Last year, we we're seeming like we we're up every day. This year, so far, we're down one day, this morning anyway. Who knows if that could turn around. Dow futures down 235. Big mover here is uh, Apple, which is downgraded, I believe, by Barclays. They're not down 2.1%, down 421. They can't seem to catch a bid. They just keep leaking here a little bit. Uh, over in Europe, we've got DAX down 94.6%, FTSE down 42.6%, CAC around down 60.8%. So down, but not, not a huge amount. Over in Asia, you get down 75 points. Uh, that, they are, they were actually they're closed today. That's that's 12:29 was their last date there. Hang Seng was open. Uh, they're down 258, percent back down to 16.788. Shanghai again they're open as well, down 12 points, 29.62. Um, the U.S. markets on Friday we leaked a little bit at the end of the year. Down 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 20. S&P futures down 13. Nasdaq futures down 83. Futures Nasdaq was down 83 on Friday. Bonds. Up 10 basis points now, 3.96. We might go to 4% today. Uh, Bund up 6 basis points, 2.09. Japan up 3 basis points, 0.62. We have oil. Pretty good rally as the the Iranians have somehow sent a destroyer all the way into the Red Sea. What they plan on doing there, I have no idea, but it could be a nasty situation. Uh, Oil's up a buck 65, it's 73.30. Rent up a buck 66, 78.70. Natural gas up a dime. 262, Arbob up 5 cents, 215. We've got gold with a little bit of a rally here, up 5 bucks, 2076, trying to get back to 2100, we'll see. Silver up 7 cents, 2415, back over 24. Copper down a penny, 287. We've got Bitcoin with another rally here, 1900 points, uh, 45,620. And we have the US dollar, which is uh, kind of on a tear here today. The uh, euro's down uh, uh, 0.74, so that's 0.6%. Under 110, 109.6, still higher than it has been. Uh, the British pound, 126.41. Again, uh, it's, it's uh, down today, down almost almost a point, uh, or one basis, down seven uh, tenths of a point. These are these are big moves in, in the in the currencies every day. Greg, what do you got for us, Travis? Weather Sports. Morning, everyone. 7:36 here in Chicago. 28 degrees right now. 41 today. Uh, breezy with clouds. Cold in Phoenix. 44 now. 65 today. Partly cloudy there. Traffic inbound Kennedy from Montrose, nine minutes. Inbound Edens from Lake Cook, 21 minutes. Inbound Ike from Wolf is 14. The Ryan from 95th to the interchange is 13 minutes. And the Stevenson from 294 to the Ryan is 16 minutes. NCAA men, we've got Northwestern at Illinois tonight in Champaign. NFL, Bears lost, or no, Bears beat the Falcons but missed out on the playoffs. That is their third straight miss. How did they, how did they get booted out when they won? Um, I believe two teams were, what was it? Someone was supposed to tie. The only way is if Minnesota and the Packers tied or something like that, and that didn't happen. So they were they were statistically eliminated. Um, okay, well. NCAA football, Cotton Bowl, Missouri, 
14, Ohio State 3, Peach Bowl. Ole Miss 38, Penn State 25. Orange Bowl was a blowout. Georgia 63, Florida State 3. Fiesta Bowl was 45-6, Oregon over Liberty. Rose Bowl, Michigan beat Alabama, like you guys said, 27-20 in overtime. Sugar Bowl was Washington 37 and Texas 31. That's all I got how, did, how did Liberty end up with a ranked 23rd? That was... Well, that's how the system works. Well, yeah, and they're the, they're the highest ranked uh, group of what group of five teams. They're the highest ranked one. They're the Boise State of this year. Wow. Well, uh, um, speaking of notable deaths last year, twenty twenty three was a pretty horrible year death wise. Joey Joey Meyer, thirty years a coach at DePaul, died at age uh, seventy four. Um, I remember that that team that he had in the early eighties. Oh, yeah. I was a little kid. Well, they had a real team. Well, his dad was a coach. He was the yeah. assistant coach for a while. And Ray what Meyer was, was there. What was, what was their stud player on that, like, 81, 82 oh, team? Oh, Mark Aguirre. Mark Aguirre. Yeah, Mark Aguirre. Did they have another guy, too? Yeah, uh, center was uh, Terry Cummings. Terry Cummings. Yeah, yeah. They were, that was a good team. Well, they had a, before that, they had a real good team. When I was in school, they had yeah. uh, it was a big, huge center. Greg was uh, – he played for the Bulls for a while. Corzine? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, I was like seven seven one two sixty five. It wasn't ounce of fat. I'm a big man, boy. <laughs> big man. Uh, Corzine would have been an awesome left tackle, huh? Oh, he's, you know, just a huge dude. Uh, yeah. He's still walking around. He does announcing. Yes, yeah. he's still around. What Greg the- Kai was a big dude too for the Celtics. I don't remember if I don't re- know if you remember him, but that dude was a big dude as well. He, he was just trunks. The, the tallest guy I ever I ever brushed up against. I mean, uh, I've seen Will Purdue. He comes in a bar downstairs actually once in a while, and he's what's he six ten maybe, Greg? Uh, pretty big guy, and you know he's slender, real real nice guy. But I was at a Cub game one night, and uh, I see Bill Cartwright walking along with a bunch of these little kids. He's taken to the game. Well, little kids are like his. <laughs> they're like by his knee. I mean, at the, you know, at the time I was six four, and I didn't really come across too many people that much taller than me and he was I, w- I would say he was way more than a head taller than me I, mean, I don't think I ever was near was he 7'3 or something I think he was I think he was at least 7 foot 2 yeah he's a big man you know yeah. and he's got all these kids around <laughs> kids are like <laughs> he's looking down <laughs> looking down like there's <laughs> eggs for God's sake anyway. well have you seen Shaq's wife Shaq's wife is pretty short I think well I think uh, I think he's like 2 feet taller than her I think Kareem's, Kareem's wife is like 5'1 or something, isn't she, or something? Yeah. yeah. Unreal. Hey, uh, all right, we, we put it off long enough. What about the market? What about this going on? What, what is with the Iranians sending a destroyer a million miles from home into the Red Sea? How do they even supply the damn thing from the Houthis? How do yeah. they, fill, how do they um, fill it up with gas? There are any kind of supply well, ships or anything. They, they, you know, they're selling it. They're selling gas, and they're selling crude oil. They're selling natural gas and crude oil. <clears throat> they got all kinds of revenue flowing in. Um, I think that's why the uh, Hamas attacked uh, Israel. I mean, if if Iran wasn't uh, selling, they didn't have any uh, revenues. They wouldn't be able to finance this thing. And and the easiest way to win a, a, a war, especially in the Middle East, is for us just to un- unleash natural gas and uh, crude oil and drive prices down to historic lows and uh, regimes like Iran wouldn't have the money to finance all these things but I think I think politicians prefer 
bombs and bullet wars in Ukraine and in Israel. Well, I mean, I, you know, if you talk to the, uh, you know, some of the creatures on the far right, of which you know I know a lot of them. Uh, sometimes you never want to get let the facts get in the way of a good story. And of course, I'll start getting my even guys on the show will start tweeting me here. Um, we just, as of like a week ago Thursday, made it to like thirteen point two million barrels a day or something. Oh, I know. I, yeah, I mean, yeah. we're 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 at a new record here, and everybody. Well, if you look, but if but if Tom, if you look at the trend, if you look at the the trend of where it was pre-pandemic to where the trend is now, sure we're above where we were at the previous peak, but if we were on the pre-pandemic trend, it'd even be higher. Yeah, and, except and we had the pandemic. Lower. Well, except, but we still haven't caught up to it, so we have. Well, we, 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 just, we just went past it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we just barely beat that, but the trend was really substantial before the pandemic. I mean, it, it was it would be I don't know, I, I I haven't looked at the chart in a while. But the trend was substantial before the pandemic, and the trend started before Trump became president. But if we were on trend, brutal prices would be really, really low right now. And, and uh, for, throughout the last two years, crude oil prices would be a lot lower than they are now, and Iran would be struggling to feed its people, not financing wars. So if you look at the, the trend, we haven't got back to pre-pandemic trend in employment, and we haven't got back to pre-pandemic level of uh, the pre-pandemic trend in uh, crude oil I, I I don't disagree but when you look at the tweets are starting here on my phone uh, <laughs> I mean you, you can't you can't you know you can't even even begin to argue with with you know people on the right that they absolutely drag all this stuff into the the amount of the amount of abuse I get because of of, of this, oh, Tom, that's not abuse. That's just opinions colliding, and that's good. Well, I mean, it's from no, actually, from some, it's you know, yeah. Biden. Biden did this. He's 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 killed the oil industry. Yeah. He's, he may want well, to. Yes. My whole yeah. point is that is that the oil industry is way bigger than whoever's sitting in the White House for any given year. Oh, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not even it's it's a world market with twenty one t- places that are uh, are uh, exporting oil, right? And, and they're and they're way ahead of whether or not, uh, you know, our, our, what our people are, are doing on a daily basis here. I mean, it's just or even on a, on a weekly basis. It, it just, I mean, I, I mean, I don't, I don't doubt that 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 uh, Trump was more favorable to oil than this guy. But I'm just yeah. saying, the. Uh, well, I don't, know, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true what you just said because, like I said earlier. Under Obama, that's when the trend started, and it continued through the Trump years. And then we had the pandemic, but um, we're nowhere near where it would have been had the pandemic never happened. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe that's because of the pandemic, or maybe it's because of the additional regulations, um, and and maybe the the problem is the future. Maybe we're not discovering those no, new underground oil pools. And we're just pumping from the current ones. So um, all I'm saying is we're not on trend. We're not on trend in employment, and we're not on trend in crude oil. We are hitting highs uh, that exceed the previous high. But we also have a, a much larger population in the United States, too. And our economy is bigger. So in terms of uh, per capita or in terms of per GDP, um, we're not where we should be. Oh, we're not. Uh, we're not a doubt. Plus, I mean, the only the only thing with oil is and this is going to sound weird, except for it's coming from me. 
you can't you can't look at the in my opinion you can't even look at the GDP number because you we've blown it up with the with the money supply. By, yeah, it's uh, totally inflated. But if, if, if you if you that. would if you would double the inflation level for the last twenty years, which I think you should, um, yeah. all of a sudden we have we have like zero growth. Yeah, we do. Yeah, but I'm we, just uh, money supply and money supply or money supply and nominal GDP growth are growing about the same rate for since 2012. And so we have like one percent population growth. All that, all that uh, increase in nominal GDP is from inflation. Nearly all of it is. Yeah, I. But I. But I guess what I'm saying with since the oil, since 2012, since 2012. So, the, but this, so this, is, this, this oil is chart. Bipartisan. Yeah, this, but this oil chart. I mean, it, we went we went flying down during the Trump administration because oil got to 28 bucks a barrel, and yeah. everybody, everybody pulled the rigs. Yeah. So he, we lost rigs during his tenure. Not because he didn't want oil, just because the price was going down and that had nothing to do with him. That was when Russia and Saudi Arabia started pouring money in to, to, to screw up our industry, right? Or started, yeah. So that it was a result of their policy, not ours. And the solution then wasn't to pump more because our people were leaving because they couldn't make any dough. I mean, just this yeah. is the, the this is the amount of barrels per day. Okay, so uh, Obama, we reached the peak of ninety. 6,000 barrels a day, which is, what, 9 million barrels a day. In uh, on 626.15, so that's during Obama administration, right? I don't know what yeah. what I really would like to see is a price o- superseded over this thing, but I, I don't know how to do that. Um, or, but this this thing comes from the Univers- University Energy Information Administration. Who the hell are those guys? So from that day down, it starts heading south. All right, so, uh, we're at, we're at, but so by the time... And it goes back. We have a low point of nine eight nineteen sixteen. So Obama's still in office. Then it starts racing up his last yeah. year. So so Trump takes office on uh, one tw- say one twenty seventeen. I totally agree with that. Yeah. And we're eighty nine hundred. These are thousand barrels a day. So eight point nine million. So eight point nine million barrels a day. So then Trump is in there. We, he reaches kind of a mini peak here of ninety five at, at nine fifteen seventeen. Then it drops way before COVID or anything. It plummets down here for, for whatever reason to uh, 8,400 in, in, in uh, the end of his first year at 10, 13, 17. From there, it races up to a, a peak of uh, at 2,720, even though he had this huge blip down here when, when the prices went flying down on uh, whatever day this is in uh, 7, 19, 19. So right before the COVID thing, we reached 13 million barrels a day, from where it plummets, right? It just goes flying because that's because of COVID and everything else. The whole world's shutting down. We make it down to a low of uh, where the hell are we here? Say nine, uh, 10 million barrels a day, and it bumps yeah. along to the upside, upside to when he leaves office, which is uh, which is uh, I'm gonna say. Well, when did he? When did he? When is he out? He's he's 21. Yeah, uh, Biden was in. Uh, so, okay, so we, we bumped down to uh, uh, 12, 10, 21, we're, we're at 11 million eight. Right, and now we're, now we're at 13, too. We're pretty much steadily straight up. Now, I'm, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that Biden is not a, well, the people around him clearly are not fans of, of uh, you know, this kind of energy. And, I, you know, now maybe they're doing it despite him or not or whatever, or maybe just whatever they say to us, 
to the people and, and that there are their backers that they're saying we're trying to bury this industry. Maybe they're doing a bunch of stuff that doesn't do anything at all. I mean, uh, some of the guys wrote me and they said, geez, he cut back on, uh, on uh, oil leases on government lands. There's, there's a bazillion acres that are leased out to people, and I think only 40 or 45% of it um, how will, will ever be drilled on. Yeah. You know, so if you cut the t- ten of the ten percent off of there and return it to primitive wilderness that nobody ever is going to go near, what have you heard? You you appeased your barking dogs of your supporters in there and say that you took fifty million acres out of a potential lease, but nobody's going to lease it anyway, or nobody's going to drill there anyway. You you can do all kinds of crap here on the political side for show. It doesn't do anybody any any harm or good, does it? Yeah, well, I mean, to me, like you said, I don't think these politicians um, really have as much control as we think they do. Or and as like they think said, they do. <laughs> the, yeah. They, 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 I think they think they can control markets, and they can't. And what happens when they try to control markets, if they're successful in the short run, then what happens is you get black markets, illegal yeah. markets. And, and a black market is just a market trying to free itself of government regulations and restrictions. That's all it is, right? And government just turns suppliers of product that people are demanding into criminals, and it turns the consumers of those products into criminals. And that's all regulations do. People drive around the speed bump. But all I'm saying is if if crude oil had been recovered, we'd probably be at, instead of $13 million a day, we'd probably be at 16 or $17 million a day instead of $13 million. Yeah, I don't, I don't know saying. if we can go that high. I mean, it'd, it'd, yeah. it'd be a lot higher than we ever did before, and since we have, I, I know. But what I, what I'm saying is, if if we recovered from the pandemic, which we haven't recovered from the pandemic, employment tells us the same thing. We're not all the jobs that have come back were just the jobs that were there but were lost because of government governors and the uh, and the federal government just saying, "Hey, stay home, don't go out, consume." And by the way, all these small businesses you can't operate. Right. right. That's that's where all this job growth. It's not job growth. It, it, the economy's trying to get back to where the jobs were, and we're not back there yet. We're not back on trend in crude oil, right? And if we were back on trend on crude oil, well, what, what, what do you say? What, the crude oil prices would be low. What do you mean? Which trend are you talking about? From 1990 to 2010, we were down. We're clearly above that trend. If you look at if you look at the trend from uh, the Obama years through the Trump years, we'd probably be at. 15, 16 a day. Right, but I think I got what I'm saying. If you if you look at this if this chart, let's go back to 1983. That yeah. that trend is unsustainable. We we never even made it to 10 back in yeah. the glory days. We never were even at 10. Now we're at 13. I, Hold on, you guys are missing the serious consequences of fracking, well, yeah. which took yeah, which took uh, you yeah. know, uh, call it four or five. And turned it into ten, fifteen. Um, if if the oil industry wanted to, or the prices went higher again, well, the capacity, the capacity is is vastly. Well, we we're losing. It's what, way more right now. That's they not could, really true, Greg. Yes, what are we? Do? We're down. <laughs> we're down. We're down half as much on north the North Slope. That's played out. Well, technology, in innovation, in discoveries, in fracking. Now, I mean, you could. You could put the Saudis out of business. I mean, we put ourselves out of business too, but the capacity at which they could go for all the the shale oil, save that some of the environmental 
regulations disappeared. It's not even a competition. Yeah, but, but who's going to, who's going to, shale oil is going to come into play. By the way, I happen to know something about this. Shale oil will come into play, I'm going to guess, at $160 a barrel. What, how does that? I'm saying your, your reserves of oil are basically, they're defined as the amount of, money, amount of oil in the ground that you can get out at today's price. If you double the price, I'm not going to say you double your reserves, but you go way higher. There's no doubt that if, if, if oil was going to be sustained at 150 bucks a barrel, you'd have fracking in southern Illinois where people were lining up to do it. You'd have fracking in northeast Ohio where people were lining up to do it. There's a, there's a there was, boy, this one I should have saved for the Bodie dudes. Uh, it was a, what do you, what do you call a, a map that's interactive? They, they showed as, as the price of oil went up and the amount of, uh, and the fracking became a big deal, okay? They, they showed in Ohio, southern Illinois, and all these places where people were planning fracking as oil went from like $70 a barrel to like 90 or 95 and As soon as it went back down to 60 the map was like you, it was like you reversed the flow of the of the purple. All of a sudden, went flying out. Remember, we had the the big debate in Southern Illinois about who was going to pay for all the bridges for the heavy machinery to get over, so they could frack in Southern Illinois. They're not one of those places ever opened. Same way in Northeast Ohio. I'm saying. It, well, it, I, I think part of the reason why they don't open is because regulations uh, really dramatically increase the uh, cost of extracting I, it, and that, I, I think that's the purpose of the regulations because. People in New York and Pennsylvania, people that run the states, they don't want it. In terms of just, in terms of just uh, break-even price, it's much easier to pull oil, or it's much cheaper. I don't want to say easier, but it's much cheaper to pull oil out of in via fracking than it is the traditional. Depends way. on where you are. Not really, because of the capex required for new rigs and for new. Uh, wells, that's way more than what they, what would be required for just tapping a frack. Yeah, I, I think that's true in the long run. So you can go down uh, to thirty to forty. It's true in the long run, but at the margin in the short run, if you already got the rig built, it's really cheap to pull the oil out of the ground. So in the long run, it, it's really expensive to put uh, new rigs in the ground out in the ocean. You, you know, you, four thousand, five thousand. Guys, you're, you're missing the, the. You're missing the. I mean, Greg is bringing the perspective of, of the of the trading side the and the break and how, even is much. Okay, much but I'm saying it, you're you're not going to if you if the government says we're gonna we're gonna whatever we possibly can we're we're gonna favor the industry. Now we start giving them money, and that's a different story because that changes your break. Yeah, I don't want to give. I don't want to give. No, them but money. I'm saying I don't, I don't that's a different story. So right now, yeah. I'm gonna say for me to uh, start something new somewhere, somebody's gonna say, well, oil better be. 90 bucks for us to kick ass. Well, guess what? It's 73. All right, so nobody's going to make that commitment. People sort of did that commitment before, and where'd it go to 28? And all of a sudden, they're yeah, huge. But, but I think what you're ignoring, Tom, is all the litigation and the red tape. I, the ethical I'm not ignoring it. What I'm saying is every, every field, every place has, has a price of oil at which you're going to do a little something else. If you drive across I 80, they got those little, what do they call those little bump bumps? What's the name of those those uh, rigs, uh, Greg? The little ones that look like look like the, the little little high big nose little hammers. Yeah, the thing that goes up and down, back back and yeah. forth. Well, every got those all over in Utah too. Every, every one of those. The danger zone right now for the major refiners would be around sixty dollars 
because uh, the new wells that they've either acquired through M&A or um, the existing wells they have, call it in the Permian Basin, those are somewhere around $30 break-even for existing wells and $60 break-even for for the uh, newer wells. But it's it's, so it's also not what, just the well. It's where, it's where you are. Yeah. The Permian doesn't have a pipeline. That's a problem. So their basis... The the break even for for oil is thirty bucks at the refinery or in Cushing is not thirty bucks in the Permian. They got to load it onto a truck, load it onto a train. The question is, why, why isn't there a pipeline? Because of regulations and your well, no, I, I mean they haven't got there yet. Policy. Well, but I, I think in the last twenty years, if there weren't the, the policies in place to uh, that you know environmentalists on the left fight, those pipelines would, but every, would be in place. It's. I guess I, I don't know why I, I know a little bit about this because I used to when I used to go to those trade shows I'd always go see the pipe the oil guys because it was so fascinating because every single well every single area is different yeah. some are some are are new are new finds some are old finds some are we know we're going to get natural gas just amount because the fifty wells around us got it and we, and we can pretty much guarantee your return some other place if we strike oil the return's going to be your wildest dreams but we got like a ten percent chance of finding everything is different. So w- when you have a piece, any place, what it is, it's, it's all about logistics of getting it someplace. One guy, matter of fact, we had a, a client here. We didn't, you know, we didn't solicit or anything because that's what we do. But they had a, there was a piece of property that was sold in Alaska somewhere to your old Standard Oil. 1957 they found it. 1965 they started, they gave it to somebody else. And 1970, pretty soon somebody put a road near it, close enough that we could actually start to drill if you found something, you could truck it out of there. Well, they had to wait for that. It had nothing to do with them. Every time you get a little further away from the from the key spot, your basis is going to be different than somebody else's. So it's I mean, it's it's a fascinating complex industry. So you, I mean, so the idea of somebody just saying, well, if, if we just if we just upped our production of you know four million barrels a day, we'd screw with the Iranians. Well, maybe the Iranians could do that to us too. If they, but the point is, who are you going to get to do this? If the price I don't think the Iranians can do that. Well, I'm saying unless if if, if, if I'm in that if, room, if governments allow them to do that. I think they can. I guarantee you, even if, even if, if Greg was John, in the room market, with us. If markets are allowed to work, if markets are allowed to work, that that those pipelines would have been built. If markets are allowed to work, and and government doesn't well, let markets work, I don't, right? I don't, you know, you have to use a higher cost distribution system. I, I'm just saying, I don't. I think there is a pipeline starting up or, or sort of started up from that area. That, that, you know, it'll probably take twenty years. But that, I mean. That, that's Ten years a, rebuild the World Trade Center. You know what that, that thing is? It was on an old old rail line. But my point is, if, if we're in the middle in the Oval Office, we'll br- even bring Greg with, the, the guy said, we want you guys to up your stuff by 10%. And I'm going to go, not at 70 bucks. I'm doing, not going 10% higher. Yeah. you have any idea what the next 10% cost me today? Not that much what? with fracking. Uh, I, I'm going to be, there's fracking right where the hubbub of fracking is, and there's, Obviously, it's not worth it in Northeast Ohio. It sure as hell isn't worth it in Southern Illinois. Are, are you going to equate that fracking with the Permian because it's the same name? I would think that what the current goal of whatever M&A that just happened over the course of a year or less, maybe six months, was collecting uh, collecting resources in order so to prepare for a time in spike where you can just you can just tap into what they already have and go for it really quickly and fairly cheaply 
and be able to hit whatever demand spikes are, whatever I, I think whatever causes them. Be, being a guy who's been a, a, a trader your whole life, you're 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 you're, you're uh, missing the some of the production uh, uh, issues. I mean, if you look, look at here the, now, the, I noticed you didn't mention the uh, the backing where where this all started, right? So I'm going to say, since uh, where where are we at? I'll, I'll get to the top of this this thing here. Monthly back in oil production statistics in 2010, we've got uh, uh, daily oil was 208. It made it to a high of six, seven, eight, a million barrels a day in 2014, and I'm thinking we're down to. Um, well, we, we actually we got to. Uh, I'm losing my count. We're, we're actually only a little bit more than we were back then. We had daily oil uh, was a hundred million. Oh boy, 2019 was a million something. We're up. We're up to uh, actually a little higher. We're not. We're not at records here though. But we're a little higher. So we're we're pushing forward here in 2023. We've got how many? We have got 1,600 wells producing there. Wow, well, that's a lot. Uh, we had barrels per well used to be. 3,100 and we're down to uh, 2,300. So you're starting to degrade a little bit. Now, so the next well is not going to produce as much oil as the last well. It's still an amazing field. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm saying, Greg, is, is have respect for how complicated the industry is in every single oil well there is. Every one of them is a different story. And every one of them is a different break-even. And uh, I'm going to say you need $100 a barrel to start anything in Southern Illinois. I mean, how what would you say? I mean, it's it's not seventy, or they'd be there. Well, I think one of the problems we're missing is um, are these companies even allowed to look? Uh, well, they were all they were all set up to work. I, they, I had a not a client, but a get a load of this. We had a, a listener. I don't know. She didn't. She's probably getting up there, but uh, she's come to Chicago and do uh, write nursing tests for uh, for uh, people that do renal care. Brilliant lady. Somehow or another, she listened to us on the air and became a listener, and. Uh, her her husband in western somewhere in Pennsylvania. If you've driven through there, and you got all these mountaintops, you wonder who all even owns this stuff. Well, evidently they had a hunting lodge up there, like three or four families forever, in one of these mountains in, in uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, so they signed a deal with this oil company, and the oil company they gave them a bunch of dough up front, so these guys get this you know fifty grand a deal for family, and all happy as a clam. The company had to sign a thing where when they started, they were going to give them what percentage of the oil. They had to build a road up the mountain. They had to do their own above-ground pipeline, so they needed all the stuff at all the other places around them. So they, they signed all those deals. Well, finally, there was a, there was a, a if it didn't do anything in three years, the land went back to the guys, and they got to sell it again. Well, they put the road in, and the oil's creeping up, creeping up. So they're ready to start. They got equipment up there. All of a sudden, oil kind of collapsed. They pulled all the equipment out. They never started. They never did a thing. Now, I don't, I don't know if they put... They were supposed to take the road and make it back into trees and make it so there was no road. They never started. But they had to be $20 million into the deal. And because oil price went down, they said, screw it. I mean, they know there's, we know there's oil there. They did samplings and stuff. They're saying, we can't get it to any place from here at this price. Now, i got to believe if it's 100 bucks. They're calling the people back up again saying, can we have our property back, or do, or do you sell it to somebody else? 
it, it is so price sensitive. It's, I mean, it's unless you actually hear a story like that, you don't realize how price sensitive it is. But this company's out a boatload of dough. They paid yeah. these guys. They built a road. They, yeah, they they uh, they chose poorly. Yeah, yeah. As uh, as they as the the ghost said in uh, Indiana Jones, right? <laughs> or like Saban said last night, we called the wrong play. S and P futures down forty one. S and futures down one eight. Hey, all happy New Year, Greg. Happy New Year. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Stocks and jacks. Stocks and jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.